Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, Sam and I dive into the topic of leadership and the importance of being able to say and admit we don't have all the answers and what we can do about it. It's facing the ever-present challenge to stay humble and live what we preach by being honest, prepared, and committed to growth. Let's get started. I don't know. Lisa, those are three words, and those three words are powerful in leadership. Sometimes the best thing a leader can do is say, I don't know. And if you, Lisa, even pulled it back, what is underneath that comment? I think underneath that comment is humility. And I believe, and I think you believe too, that all great leaders, while really confident, they also have a dose of humility, a a humility to say, I don't know, or I need to get better, or maybe somebody has a better answer than I do. Maybe a player, maybe an assistant, maybe an athletic director. Lisa, what are your thoughts on I don't know and the humility piece of leadership? Well, I think about the times uh, that I, my career that I haven't said I don't know and been caught in a moment where maybe I wasn't as prepared as I should have been um, trying to answer that question or a question for somebody. And I think I've learned the most when either I've been able to say I don't know in the moment, um, just in terms of humility and taking ownership of the fact that I didn't know. I think that's like a really, it's a really big part of just like accountability and leadership, right? Um, And being honest. I think like we want to hide sometimes our weaknesses or hide our mistakes, but we don't learn from them if we do that. And so, and then other um, times where I've reflected back on the moment and said, I should have said, I don't know. I should have owned up to to something um, because it would have built trust, I think, with the person who I was um, talking to or the person who asked the question rather than you know, tried to fake it. Uh, and I learned those. I mean, I'm still learning those things, but I learned some of those as a young coach and I'm grateful for that. But um, it's the ownership, the honesty, the accountability. It's the building trust that being able to say it um, can really help us as leaders. Yeah, I agree. And the one thing, I, this is my 20th year of coaching. I just realized that recently started coaching 03, 04. And, you know, coached almost 10 years, a decade in the college game, then then doing non-traditional coaching the last several years. And one thing I've learned is the more I learn and the more that I grow, the more I know that I don't know. Like, I just know, I have learned so much, I'm like, man, I really thought I knew a lot, but I really don't. And I kind of had that aha moment. I maybe had talked about it before when I went to my first PGC session after a decade of coaching. And I thought, you know, I've been around all over the country, listening to some of the best coaches or so-called best coaches in the game and watching tons of college practices from really good ones and all that. And then I went to a PGC session and I thought, Oh my gosh, I, I I could do so much better in terms of leadership and communication, all those things. And so I tweeted this out earlier. I was listening to an interview and Brad Stevens was talking 
about Joe Missoula, the current Celtics coach, Lisa. And he said there, cause they're kind of questioning, like you, why would you bring him back? He was a young guy that kind of just got the job when Udoka got let go. Right. He's like this <laughs> late 30 something year old coach doesn't have a ton of experience and he got handed the keys to a really good team and they didn't make it back to the NBA finals. So it was a tough, tough call, Brad Stevens. And they brought him back and he said this about Joe. He said, he's a terrific leader. He will only get better. He's constantly trying to learn and he is accountable. And he said, those leadership qualities are easy to talk about, but they're really hard to find. And I thought that was pretty profound. Brad Stevens is a lot more interested in who Joe Missoula is as a leader. And he knows he needs to be really good X's and O's, but it's like leadership is everything at any level. And Brad Stevens, you know, great track record of being a great leader at college and NBA level. Back to our main theme here, which is, yeah, those are those are admirable leadership qualities, humility. We've been around the leader who is a know-it-all and they show it and usually that air that bleeds into arrogance and that usually gets you in trouble because eventually you get humbled um, sometimes in a big way or, or some small ways. Yeah. It's the trajectory that you're on as a coach and a leader, right? Like sometimes it doesn't matter as much where you start, but where you're headed. And I think that's what Brad Stevens is identifying is that if I have a leader who is constantly looking for opportunities to learn and wanting to learn and hungry to learn. And then also somebody who's going to be accountable and take ownership, um, set a high standard, like, you know, you're going to, you're going to just keep moving up. He's going to keep moving up. And, um, I think that's where as coaches and leaders, I think we talk about this a lot. Like, are we asking the right questions? And part of me is like trying to find the, the questions that you don't know the answers to. Um, you know, if you're doing a drill and somebody asks you or you should ask yourself, what are the points of emphasis? What are the three things I want to coach in this drill? If you don't know what those are, then, OK, I need to back up and find the answer to that question. Here's the most important things. I know a lot of coaches who've maybe not intentionally answered that question, but have a ton of experience could probably rattle some off right away, um, which is great. I think then pass that information on to your assistant coaches. You and I were kind of riffing on some staff dynamics earlier, but I think you can help your uh, younger assistants or, or staff members, less experienced staff members grow quicker if you let them into some of those things. And so have you answered those questions? I think about going on a job interview and saying like, what are going to be the values of your team culture? Like if you don't know, let's figure those out before, before you get there. And it helps you build confidence because you're prepared. I think about a scouting report. I remember last year um, I was at Montana and I had a little bit more experience um, with using Synergy. I never use Synergy. And for coaches who don't know, it's got a ton of like um, analytics and data. And you can literally look at, okay, when this player goes right off the ball screen, what do they like to do when they go left? What do they like to do? Do they Are they going to shoot behind the screen? Are they not? Like, yeah, you can watch seven games and try to figure that out for yourself. Or you can look on Synergy and um, and watch 30 clips and be like, okay, now I know the answer to that. So if, if that's important, 
instead of, I remember the moment I said, I don't know what she likes to do <laughs> going one way or the other off a ball screen. But then now I know, okay, that's part of my preparation. I can go and look at that. And so, um, ask more questions that you don't know the answer to, and then go work to figure it out. If it's, if it's worth your time. Right. Um, obviously there's questions we, that, okay, that's not an important one. We need to focus on the ones that are going to help you the most, but um, you kind of learn that by trial and error. Going back to just the leadership point, that's the trajectory you're on. Well, yeah, I was going to say too, Lisa. Like, there, we're we're also not saying you can just walk around your all all practice and in every game, and every time you get asked a question, say I don't know. I mean, you got to know some things. You got like we can't be in a game and there's five seconds left and we're in a timeout and you got to know some answers as coaches. Like we, we're not like, you got to be prepared. You got to be knowledgeable. You got to know some of the answers to the test before you take the test. But there's also times like, you know, I was just coaching this past weekend and I got in the huddle and I said, guys, we, we run a full court man to man pressure system. And we do a couple, a couple different looks out of it and different um, points of emphasis. And we were up against a really good opponent. And I got in the huddle and said, you guys tell me, y'all are out there. What, what, what do you guys want to run? Because I, they're, they're the ones playing, and they know the speed and athleticism that they're going against. And so sometimes putting it in your player's court. And that, that's an example of have the humility to, to ask your players, what do they think? Or, you know, lean on your assistant coaches. They, they may know something or see something that you're not seeing. And so you're constantly, I think, um, playing in, the, in this uh, pool of confidence where you've got to make some decisions as a leader. And then also, when do I lean on the people around me and, yeah, go to the phrase, I don't know. What do you think? Like that would be a follow-up phrase. I don't know. What do you think? And that, that would be um, a good approach to take. Yeah, there's times, too, when I feel like you've done the homework and, you know, you may, I think specifically about an end-of-game situation. And I know a couple of scouts that I've had where the team's really good at uh, sideline out of bounds because we can advance the ball. And they got 10 different plays they've seen them run in four or five different games. And so the question a head coach might ask you, because I'm working on you know being prepared, what, what are they going to run here in this situation? Part of the answer, because I've done the homework, is I don't know. <laughs> like, I know that there's – I think that's when you have to be, okay, well, how am I going to answer that question? Again, you're you're just preparing ahead of time. Okay, these are the things they like to do. These are the people they like to go to. Down two, down one, down three, whatever that might be. Maybe situational in the game, foul trouble. Uh, maybe somebody has a hot hand. And so you kind of run your mind through, okay, what are the – check boxes of different things that could happen. What am I going to say to my head coach when he asks me? And some of the part, again, part of the answer is I don't know because you're being honest. I'm not going to put down a play here and tell you this is exactly what they're going to do. Cause you're, you know, you're, you're making a bet in some ways. And so you just have the full context when you give that answer of, um, you know, we are dealing with humans, you know, Hey, what's going on with uh, John today at practice? I don't know. You know, like we can guess as coaches, we can make assumptions and, you know, we might say, hey, I think it could be this. This actually happened a couple of times this year um, where we give our players a mental health day if they, you know, need time away or um, need to step away from practice. And 
each time that we've guessed why it was, it wasn't, it wasn't right. <laughs> like when we've gone and had the conversation of, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? It's been something like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You need to go, you have family stuff going on. You have this personal thing going on. Yeah. Figure that out and, and come back. So it's, yeah, it's easy to just to guess or make assumptions. Um, and again, we just have to be accountable for, okay, how are we going to answer that question when it comes to us? And Lisa, another thing, like a cousin of this conversation or a cousin of humility to me would also be the ability to adapt and evolve. Um, or another way of saying it is to be fat, F-A-T, flexible, adaptable, teachable. And, and that goes for coaches. And what I mean by this is we've seen the game of basketball evolves. It's evolved a lot over the last 20 years. You see it at the highest of levels all the way to the lowest of levels. And so what's happened in the last 10 years? Well, I'll be curious if you, what's your answer? What, what do you think's happened in the last 10 years? I know I'm putting you on the spot because we didn't talk about this. Um, from a schematic standpoint across basketball. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Great answer. Well, I, I would say the explosion of the three point shot. That's what Sam, that's it for sure. <laughs> and that, that would be one of many things, but not many things that would be one that that's changed the game. Now, why has that happened? Well, I would say there's a few different reasons. One, we've had an explosion of uh, skill level. Why has that happened? Because in in some part, because uh, the trainer world has exploded. So kids are getting trained up on skills. So the skill level I, and keyword, I didn't say basketball IQ has improved, but skill level has improved. So there are, I mean, you walk into a, walk into a sixth grade girls game and you can see girls making five or six threes. You wouldn't have seen that 15 years ago. You wouldn't have seen, you know, multiple guys on a team taking 10 plus threes in the NBA game. Now I attribute that to Steph Curry and I did, I did a deep dive on this and synergy actually and created a video on this. All right. My point in saying this, the game has evolved and as a coach and a leader, you have to be willing to evolve. We've seen dinosaur coaches who don't don't evolve with the times. How you coached, how I was coached as a high school and college player is much different in some respects than how you know kids are coached now. And if you don't evolve or adapt, the game will leave you behind. And there's always a strange relationship or tension between how do I evolve while staying true to some old school principles that are that, that do run the test of time, like demanding great effort and being a great teammate, I think are going to play well in 1933 and 2033. Now, how we how we demand it or how we go about it's probably going to have to change. But, you know, there is a tension there between old school principles, let's call it and new age or evol evolution or adaptability. Right. And I think of it on the basketball court, like, do you want to play with a traditional center? Yeah. Do you have a traditional center? You know, do you want everybody on the floor to shoot the three? Like, is that necessary? And I think um, a lot of coaches are, you know, a lot of the ones who've been around for a long time are, 
I have a big, I'm going to throw the ball inside. Like I, I want to get shots close to the rim where, you know, sometimes now that five has to guard a pretty much a guard on the perimeter because people are playing four out and five out. Now, can they play defense out there? What are you going to do? You know, we're this year we're playing a lot of zone. I think traditionally um, our head coach would like to be a man team, but we got to go with the personnel that we have and the needs that we have at the time. And so that's an, it is a evolution or it is an openness, right? Like I think we can be stubborn about what we don't know. Um, and that some people don't like the analytics. They go, ah, there's too much. You, you can get, and you can, you can go too far into the analytics, but I think that's one thing that's changed the game is knowing, okay, wow, I can really look at some of these percentages. I can see what the points per possession is and know what's the, the best value for there's you know shot quality stats based on who takes it and from where, what kind of shots you're trying to get. And so I do think there are some tried and true that, you know, if you have a big and you can go inside near the basket, that still works. If you have a big around the rim playing defense and that can block shots, that still works. Um, so you got to stick to some of the things you know, but maybe find out more of why it still works. What are the numbers on that? Just again, to, I think, feed your curiosity. And so we need to stay curious about that and research it. And I know some of the best coaches are always still looking for, Hey, I listened to this clinic today or, or, um, there's so much on the internet now, but you can, you can find these answers and you can, you know, hopefully not just get confirmation bias, but continue to learn as a coach. And so you just got to stay hungry for that. Yeah. So let me, let me share a few stats with you back to the point I was making earlier that I think are pretty, pretty substantial stats. So in the 2003, and before I say the stats, let me say Steve Kerr to me is an example of somebody who's evolved with the game. Lisa, he won three, I think he won three NBA championships with the Bulls in a triangle offense where, you know, you're, you're running the ball into the post or the pinch post. And, and, and he took some of those concepts and applied them in his golden state with their split action. And then he won a couple of championships with the Spurs, but here in the 2013, 14 NBA season, Lisa, the top three teams shooting the three Houston shot 26 and a half Atlanta shot 26 and Phoenix shot 25 threes a game. That's in 2013, 14, 10 years ago. Memphis was the bottom. They only shot 14 threes a game. Think about that. Like, I don't know what y'all shoot now at the college game, like what you average. In the 20, in the 23-24, early in the season, the top three teams, Lisa, Dallas, Boston, and Sacramento, shoot 43, 43, and 42. There's nobody that shoots less than 30. That's a pretty quick explosion in 10 years. Would you agree? Like going from, I mean, that's 17 more a game, a game. Uh, that The game has, and if so, if my point is, is if Steve Kerr is like, you know what? We won championships like this in Chicago and San Antonio. And he came into Golden State and he was like ramming it into the post. And he didn't let two of the greatest shooters of all time shoot volume threes and Clay and Steph. Then they probably aren't winning any championships. So that evolution, that adaptability uh, over time allows Steve Kerr. Now we, we know there's other examples of coaches not evolving with the times 
They had a lot of success. They maybe won multiple national championships at the college level or NBA, and then they stopped winning. They go through long droughts, and that might be a sign that they didn't evolve or adapt because they're stuck in what was good. And why are they stuck? Back to our original point here, they probably lacked some humility. Yeah, I think uh, the best coaches put their players, their team, their programs in the best situations to be successful. They maximize their personnel. They maximize their you know, potential. And that's really hard to do. And so whether we're evolving or sticking to tried and true principles, we, we have to take an assessment of who do we have? What do we don't have? What do we not have? And then what is our goal? Like if our goal is development and, hey, I only got one good player that, yeah, if I want to win a lot of games, they should take 75% of the shots for the team. That's one thing, but maybe you're developmental and the goal is, okay, I got one good player now, but my goal is to have three good players that we can rely on for scoring by the end of the season. So you have to keep like the goal in mind and, and balance that tension, right? I think that there's tension for that too, but maximizing your team, I think that's the question. How do we, how do we answer that? And if we don't know, that's okay. Go, you know, go find the solution, go work to figure it out, go practice it, go experiment um, and learn from that. I think as a coach, that's how we get better. You sent me a great article that triggered some of this, um, us recording this podcast. You know, I'm going to paraphrase, you know, for the listener, it's, you know, rugby coach who, This new rugby coach got hired and there was a consultant on staff who then was, and you can correct me on anything I misspeak on, but a consultant was on the previous staff. He was let go. And this rugby coach was like, well, I'm letting you go because you don't know anything about rugby. And the point is, that's the very reason why he may have needed to be kept (laughs) was not because of his rugby knowledge, because of his leadership knowledge and helping this new coach come on board. And so I know you've seen it in your career. We've talked about the importance of, but when, when does this approach of I've got all the answers really get coaches into trouble? When does, when do you see it go sideways um, and I know we have to be careful on, you know, what we say here, but, um, yeah. When do you see it go sideways? Well, it's funny, Sam, cause I was just thinking about, but that's how you get the job is having all the answers. Yeah. You know, I think now not maybe for every person hiring, but they love to see somebody who walks in with confidence who says, I'm going to, you know, take this team, this program to the next level. Here's all my answers. Here's how I'm going to do it. Boom, boom, boom. And it just like instills a ton of confidence into, you know, the athletic director, the president, whoever's trying to make that hire. And it's, it's so funny because I feel like it's the opposite of really what you should want. And, you know, you want somebody who's still searching. Like, I think that's what Brad Stevens is saying about, you know, the, the coach keeping them because, they're they're still looking they're still hungry and um yeah to your point about that tweet i had sent you the story um the guy said well you should keep me because rugby is all you know so the head coach he knew a ton about rugby and okay this guy didn't but like what is he what he didn't ask the question well what how does this guy provide value 
what does he bring to the table that I don't? And I think within the staff dynamics, um, you want people that compliment you. And to your question, Sam, like, when does it get you in trouble? Uh, I think, I think trying to have all the answers will always in some ways get you in trouble. Like we don't, like we have to stay humble. Um, and, and I, there's a time, I don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of processing it too. Like there's a time and a place to, to be confident and to say, you know, it's going into a game, going into a timeout and you can't say, I don't know. And you can't hoe and hum about things. You got to say, Hey, this is how we're going to win. And I think this just constantly learning from those experiences, trying to answer that question beforehand. And I, and I think that's one, this is one that I keep learning from, you know, stories of great athletes or great performers or great coaches is they, they reflect on, they meditate on, they put themselves in those situations before they get there. And so they, they, okay, Hey, if if we're down three in this situation, who am I going to go to? How am I going to do this? And like, as coaches, again, in our experiences, we learn from doing it wrong one time and go, okay, now I need, no, I need to be prepared for that. But try it again. Just ask those questions ahead of time. Um, If you have, uh, you have a player in practice who's having a bad day. How are you going to approach him? Are you just going to be indifferent to it, ap- apathetic to it? You're just going to let him go through it. You're going to approach him after, before, during, and call him out in the moment. Like, yes, we're going to make some of those decisions on the fly, and we can learn from the experiences that we've had. But maybe we can do that before we get there and say, okay, you can. Here's what I would do. Reflect on is that the right thing to do? I think all of us have situations. You were just telling me about one, Sam, where you hit the pause button before you make the phone call, before you, you know, send the text message to say, Hey, is this the right thing? And then you live with the decision after, but to be really intentional about those things can really help you when maybe you think you have all the answers right now. Um, but we're, I don't think as a coach and you know, how we talk on this podcast with TJ, like we never, we never say that you have to have all the answers. Yeah, you're you're making you're making is the best decision you can in the moment. But a lot of that does go to your preparation. I mean, it's it's knowing a lot of things, right? It's like knowing who you are. Like who am I, Sam? Lisa, you're gonna make leadership decisions based on who you like me and you would approach same situations differently and who's right, you know, we both can be right because it's gotta be true to us. Um and I think I think so. You got to get clear on who you are. And then I think you're kind of, I don't, these are my words, not yours, but like speaking principle based leadership, like you're basing decisions on principles you decided on ahead of time. Not necessarily like, should I run a, a two, three matchup out of this side out of bounds, you know, late game, or should I run man to man? Not really about that, but yeah. Am I, am I well prepared? And this goes back to the Annie Duke book of, you know, thinking in bets. You're you're making decisions like a poker player based on probabilities of of what you have. It's not a it's not a chess or checkers move. It's a poker move. And you're making the best decision possible, like Pete Carroll um, in the Super Bowl when they got the interception. And it. let, let me say this too. you know, another real life example. It is football season. TJ and I love bringing up football stories. You know, obviously, George, I'm a Georgia football fan, and they lost in the 2019 SEC championship, Lisa, to 
and I believe I'm getting my years right, to Joe Burrow and LSU who went on. To, they had an all-time offense, Lisa. And Georgia's defense was number one that year, and they just got ran on in the championship game. And Kirby Smart reflected on it in the offseason, and, and he said, you know what, I've come to realize sometimes the best way to counter a great offense is not with a great defense, but to have a great offense. And so he made a tough decision where he let go his offensive coordinator. He brought in a new coordinator and they changed their style and they threw the ball more, less running. They opened it up and it didn't happen overnight, but, you know, they went through another year of kind of, you know, subpar par year. And then they won two straight national champ, but it took a different approach. He said, you know what? Maybe I'm trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I need to I need to pause. I need to zoom out. I need to re re-examine our approach. And obviously it paid off, you know, and they they won, you know, 29 in a row and two national championships. But that that took a real tough leadership decision to look at it outside the box, is my point. And that takes humility. That takes an awareness of, hey, we could do this a little bit better in a different way. Yeah, Sam, it reminds me, you know, when I was working for Coach Thomas at St. Mary's, he had, he had come to St. Mary's having won two back-to-back national championships at the Division II level, and he did it with a full-court pressure defense, and it was relentless, it was all the time, um, and that was his background in, in coaching, and he came to the Division I level and spent, you know, I would say half the season, that was my year as a, I was a freshman walk-on, uh, trying to implement this style. And, you know, of course, some people say, oh, you can't do what, you, what you've done at a lower level and bring it to the Division One level. And that's not necessarily true. I've seen coaches come from Division Three uh, to Division One and play a very similar style and coach it very similarly. So, like, there's things you need to be mindful of, but partly just recruiting and who you're going to get and who, what kind of players you're going to have and want to have. But, um, you know, he had to make a change and say, okay, we're going to be a half court defensive team. And I, you know, and by get by, I guess, sell himself on it and then sell the whole team on it. I think that's a leader. That's what you kind of have to do. But uh, there's just multiple times, I think, just in that example that I've seen where coaches have to evolve and or you have to make a hard choice about making a change. And it is it's a bet. But um Hopefully you get more right than wrong, and sometimes you get it. You get it halfway there, and you just got it. Okay, I'm onto something. Now I got to keep tweaking it, right? So that's a tough one. And I think uh, again, as we said, like who you surround yourself with to help you in these tough decisions can make a big difference. I like that a lot. That's a really good way to kind of get close to ending here. And it, it, it just that triggered a thought for me, and then get your final thoughts is like. Leadership is not easy. I mean, it's very rewarding when you're, you know, making an impact on people's lives. And it's fun as a coach when you're competing and winning. And like, that's a fun part of leadership. But there is so many, there's so many little decisions that have to be made on a daily basis, like human to human, strategy wise, culture wise, like so much stuff on the court, off the court. And so it, it, it isn't easy. You, you try to base everything principally and be led by your purpose and then make the best decision and live with it. And 
feel good about it. And sometimes you won't feel good, especially if the result isn't the result you desire to. And that, that is, this is all, this is leadership and it's like a, and, and it depends and all that stuff. What, what are your final thoughts on this conversation? Yeah, just who you put in your circle, right? I think that example of the coach that, hey, he knew everything about rugby and he didn't see the value of having somebody on his staff who didn't know anything about rugby. Like, ask yourself, what value does that person bring? You know, what, what role can I put some people in around me that can really help me? How can I mentor them? What questions do I have that I need answers to or want answers to that I, I don't have time to find out? You know, that's what, that's why assistant coaches do scouts is <laughs> so the head coach can focus on the day to day and having a great practice and then empowering their, their staff to answer those questions. And so you don't have to be an expert in everything. You don't have to learn everything. You don't have to know everything. Like we said, when you don't know, that's like a good moment to reflect on how do I find the answer to that question? How do I prepare myself? How do I prepare my staff and my team? And um, yeah, not make assumptions, but really just continue to, you know, set yourself up to keep growing in your leadership. That's the goal. Absolutely. So coaches, leaders, players listening, I don't know. That can sometimes be a powerful three word phrase for you. And you're balancing that with confidence and humility and all of it all in one package. So, hey, please hit that subscribe button. Follow us on social media. Engage with us. We appreciate you listening. We don't take that lightly. She is Lisa. I am Sam. And we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. We also want to make sure you know about our coaching resources and freebies available to you at pgchustle.com. We have a workshop, a Reading React masterclass, and effective practice planning tips to help you enhance your coaching. Get started at pgchustle.com. From the Hardwood Hustle team, thanks again. We can't wait to be with you again next week.